last uh, last week and this week we're just doing this two week series um, on he said what uh, talking about just different sayings of Jesus that maybe throw us for a loop uh, maybe we sit and wonder why did he say that and and so it seems like a weird series to have at Christmas right I mean Christmas we're supposed to talk about you know what the the gold frankincense and myrrh meant and and uh, you know what what it meant to find Jesus in a, a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes and all those things but but as we sit and think through we talked last week why did Jesus come he says the the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glory is of the only begotten from the Father Father full of grace and truth and that he came to reveal to us who God is. And so some of these statements that Jesus makes, some of the parables that he says and tells to his disciples really just challenge us in understanding what it means to follow Christ. And, and so today I'm going to, I didn't, I'm not going to hand out the microphone. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer and I will just kind of repeat your answer back so that the recording will take it in. Um, and I'm going to write your answers down because... I want to remember them in a few minutes when we come back to look at them. But I want you to think through, and not naming names, but describe someone who is holy and righteous. Not everybody at once. Just what you would picture if you said someone's holy and righteous. What does that look like? Okay. All right, Gil's trying to, to brown nose up here with, with Tina. <laughs> yes. I'm just asking you what you think when you, you hear holy and righteous. Billy Grant. No, I said without naming names. <laughs> See, y'all are already two answers. We're both naming names. Y'all don't pay attention. <laughs> It's not a trick question, I promise. Okay, a lot of time in prayer. Okay. Humble. Okay, confession of Christ. Okay, walks the walk. Loving, courageous. I'm wisdom. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm old and can't hear. Discern, wise and discerning. Okay. Okay, broken in their sin, rejoices in truth. Zeal. One more. Yeah. Honest, okay. You know, as we, we think through these, 
And, and a lot of times when we think about holy and righteous, you guys were thinking along the right lines. Because a lot of times we think holy and righteous, we think attends church every time the doors are open. You know, ha- does certain things, says certain things. And, and, and so we, we begin to categorize in a way that maybe messes us up. And maybe gets us a little confused. This morning, as we, we look at the text... It's in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus is telling a parable. And he says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. I'm excuse me, I jumped. That's verse 1. Verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, as we read this passage, it's not as shocking to us. You know, we've, we're 2,000 years removed from the statement. But think through the audience that Jesus was talking to. Who would they consider the ones who were holy and righteous? The Pharisees. And we give the Pharisees a hard time. And deservedly so. But we need to understand where the Pharisees came from and how they got to where they are for us to understand where we've come from and be careful not to get to that same place. Because the Pharisees, during the time when Israel was taken captive and there was, they were in and out and they were no longer having the temple to worship in, they no longer were having synagogues, they were having all these different things going on, the Pharisees were a group of people that were put together to make sure that the Scripture stayed intact, that they stayed true to the Word. These guys knew the Bible so well that you could take an Old Testament scroll and throw a dart, and wherever it landed, you could quote, you could tell what it was, and they could quote that passage. They memorized it. They could tell you what the middle letter of the Old Testament was. They could tell you what the middle word was. They knew the Bible so well That they were living that and seeking their best to keep the Bible pure. Now we say, well, they added all these different laws to it. But they did that with the right motive. They just kind of went a little too far with it. Because they would add these rules so that they could protect the Scriptures. They were trying to explain the Scriptures so that we people could understand. You say, well, we would never do that. (laughs) Been in church long? We do it all the time. We add to the scriptures to say, well, you've got to look this certain way, dress this certain way, talk this certain way, do these certain things, and then you can be right with the Lord. And Jesus is is telling this parable, you know, for us, we look at it, we expect that the tax collector is going to be the one who goes home righteous because we've heard the story so many times. The people who are hearing Jesus tell it, they're thinking, man, what a heathen. You know, that Pharisee boy, he was, he was on target. 
He's fasting twice a week. He's tithing. He's doing all these great things. And that tax collector, you know what he does? He comes and gets my taxes and he gives them to the Romans. The heathen. And yet Jesus says he's the one who goes away righteous. And it doesn't shock us, but his original audience would have thought, how on earth did you come up with that? Where did that come from? You say, well, why was it a big deal that the Pharisees, this Pharisee's talking about he fasted twice a week? Well, for those of us who don't like fasting, that's a big deal. But, but realize that the Pharisees were only required to fast one time a year at the, the Day of Atonement. And now he's saying, hey, I've gone way above what I'm required to do. I fast twice a week. And there were certain, there were certain things they were called upon to tithe, but not all the things that he lists. He said, hey, not only do I give, boy, I give over and above. Look at my tax statement, <laughs> you know. Look what I gave to the church. And so we need to be careful here as he's beginning to, to show this and we're beginning to think, well, he maybe is the right one. You know, the, the rationale for Jesus telling this parable is for his disciples to understand and know that it's not just these rules and laws. It's not following after all these things. And it's not a matter of being able to justify yourself. What did he say in verse 9? Why is he telling the parable? He told this to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. They trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. You say, well, we would never do that. I've seen Facebook posts. I've heard statements. Not necessarily from you guys, but from the body of Christ that are very vitriolic towards people who don't know Christ, who maybe have a lifestyle that's different than ours, who may not do the things and say the things that we think they should do and say. And we come across as, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you like me? And nowhere in Scripture, praise the Lord, is anyone called to be like Wade Hobbs. You know, we're not called upon to make people like us. We're called upon to help people understand what it means to be like Christ. But what, is the, what does the world normally think of the church? And you say, well, I don't know. Well, then you don't read Facebook. Because they think that we're more interested in being right than that God is right. We're more interested in proving we're right. Proving our point. It's, listen to me. I've got it all together. You need to listen and hear what I'm saying. Now, we, we just sang a song. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We do have the truth. But that truth is Jesus Christ, not my version of that truth. And not my truths that I've added to who he is. And what you need to do to follow him. And the same thing was happening with the Pharisees. We need to be careful that we don't get this way. That, that we begin to know the scriptures so well. 
that we go, well, let me explain to you what that means. And yes, we do need to explain the Scriptures. That's what we're doing this morning. But we need to not add to it and make it say something that it doesn't say. So that we can make our point. So the world thinks that we're more interested in proving we're right than that God is right. That we're more interested and more focused on condemning people than helping them become more like Jesus. How many of you have ever heard, don't raise your hands. How many of you have ever heard a message that talks about the world out there and how bad everything is out there and we just need to hunker down in here and protect ourselves? You know, I I hear it all the time. When I was a youth pastor, we would send our teenagers to school. Most youth ministry guys would send their youth to, to high school petrified. You know, you need to be careful of peer pressure. You get to school, they're going to try to talk you into doing drugs and drinking and having sex and cheating. And, yeah. and so you go to school thinking, okay, anybody talks to me, they're going to try to get me into doing something. And we walk around fearful and we do the same things now. Don't go out into the world. Don't hang around with people who, who act that way because they might rub off on you. They might contaminate you. You know who got in trouble for doing that? Jesus. The Pharisees said, you're hanging out with those people who might contaminate you. We're not going to hang out with them. We know know better than hanging out with those guys. So do we focus more on condemning people? I think sometimes we do, yeah. We need to be careful. Is it a matter of saying we accept everything and we can say you can live however you want? No. No. But we spend more time talking to people who don't have a relationship with Jesus about how they should live like Jesus than we do with the ones who have a relationship with Jesus that are living like the devil. We're called upon to challenge each other who have the Holy Spirit living in us to be different. I can't expect someone without the Holy Spirit to live differently. My job is to tell them about Christ and how He can help them. And not tell them about Christ because, man, you need to get your life straight. So let's tell you about Jesus. No, it's because Jesus loves us. And he loves them. And we we try to help them to understand that. They say that we're prideful and quick to find fault. It's easy to do, isn't it? It's easier to find, you know, I remember my dad, God bless him, you know, he was, he was very, well, at the time we didn't know it was OCD, but he was very OCD. So you could go in his desk drawer, borrow a pencil, and put it right back in the exact same spot. And he would go, who moved my pencils? You go, what, did you notice that it's like a quarter of an inch shorter? I mean, how did you know I moved your pencil? But his thing was, I'd go out, and he'd say, I need you to go mow the lawn. And I'd mow, I'd be out there sweating and dying. And I'd come back, he goes, oh, you missed one spot. Come on, you know, I missed that one. There's that one weed that I ran over, but it didn't quite get cut, and it just popped right back up. But that's what he would point out. And that's the way we do in the body of Christ. We don't say, 
let me encourage you in how you're doing. It's up, you, you did great, up, but you blew it right there. You missed spot. We are quick to find fault. And Jesus is telling this story to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treat others with contempt. David Kinneman says this, To be judgmental is to point out something that is wrong in someone else's life, making the person feel put down, excluded, and marginalized. Some part of their potential to be Christ followers is snuffed out. I don't want to be responsible for snuffing out someone's potential to be a Christ follower because I've been judgmental and made them feel left out and put aside. I don't want to be the one who thinks that I have it all right. And again, we're not talking about a free-for-all here. We're not talking about now that you become... A believer, you can live however you want and those kind of things. We are talking about that there is a following after Christ. But we're talking about how we deal with people who don't know Jesus. And also, what is the motivation and the heartbeat that causes it? What is it that Jesus is addressing here? See, there's two dangers in pride. One is we trust in ourselves and not God. And there's such a, a fine line there. You know, there's the whole let go and let God mentality that says, I'm over here and I'm just going to wait and let God move in my life. So that whenever I live like I'm not supposed to live, it's God's fault, right? I let go, I'm letting God do it. He didn't do it. What's wrong with him? The other side is, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to get it right. I'm going to do it right this time. I'm going to live for Jesus. I've got it. I can handle this. No, we've got to find that balance. It says, you know what? There is a discipline in the spiritual life. Paul says to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. But we cannot do it in and of our own strength. He says in Philippians, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of your, his good pleasure. He says, you've got to work it out, but you work it out because it's him who works in you, both to change your thinking and the way you act. So we, we lean on him, we trust in him, not ourselves. And pride also regards others with contempt. My first job was at a drugstore, and... Uh, Probably about six, eight months into my job there, I had finally learned that how to do the job. You know, it's one of these things, your first job when you're 16, you think you know all the answers, and then you realize you get out in life that you don't know squat. Um, but I can remember, you know, I was, I was a small kid. I know it's hard to believe, but at 16, I ran a cash register, and it was about right here. You know? So that tells you how short I was. Everybody thought I shouldn't be working there. But um, So about six or eight months into it, I had, at this point in time, done a good enough job that my boss was giving me some responsibilities and things. But we hired an older lady who, when we hired her, we said, can you work on Sundays? No. Can't work on Sundays because I go to church. Now, I went to church, but sometimes I had to work on Sunday. No, I, I drive the bus for our Sunday school 
and, and, and I can't do that because they need me. And every day she'd come to work and she'd talk to my boss who didn't know the Lord about Jesus. And then about three or four months later, we just kept noticing something didn't quite add up. And so we, we called our corporate office and they sent in what were called shoppers. Shoppers come in and what you do is you have two people who come in together. The one person buys something and asks for their receipt. Then somebody gets between them and buys something. And then the next person buys it and asks for their receipt. And you realize that in between those two receipts, there is no receipt. So she is pocketing the money. And we find out that she's having her friends come in. It's the summer. We got, you know, the old uh, wicker lawn chairs that fold up. People are buying those. You know, I, I don't remember how much they were, like 15, 16 bucks. She was selling them to her friends for 2 $3, those kind of things. Um, and so we find out that over a three-month period, she has stolen close to $15,000 from the drugstore. You know what my boss said? That's what Christians are like. Now, she was very pharisaical in her discussion about her relationship with Jesus. It was all based around how she drove the bus. She had to do all these different things to be what she was at her church. But she was not living the way that God had called her to live. She, she regarded everybody who didn't do her thing and, and worked on Sundays with contempt. But she wasn't living the way God had called her to live. You know, we gasp at a story like that, but I really want you to think. Don't raise your hand. How many of us here sat and thought, boy, I'm glad I'm not like her? That's a tough question, isn't it? You see, we keep, we waver between two extremes, and I'm on my favorite quote, you'll hear it till I die, is it's easier to go to a consistent extreme than to stay at the center of biblical tension. See, we have two extremes here. One is, I'm just a terrible sinner, I can't do anything right. The other is, I'm a saint, can't do anything wrong. What does the scripture say? Scripture says I'm a saint, doesn't it? Paul calls the believers in Christ a saint over and over again. But he also reminds us that in Romans 7, that we can can give back into that sin pretty easily. Romans 6, that we can surrender to be a slave to sin on a daily basis. So we find that balance that says... In humility, not to beat ourselves up and say, I'm a terrible, wicked sinner, but in humility, recognize and understand how I can give in to sin, but also recognize and understand that with the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't have to give in to sin. I don't have to do it. And and if I choose not to give in to sin, it's not because I'm so good. It's because the Holy Spirit gave me the power to do it. He worked through me and in me. It's not about me. What does James say? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Now you say, well, you know, I know God doesn't like the proud. That isn't what it says. It doesn't say he doesn't like the proud. It says he opposes the proud. I don't want God to be opposing me. I want the grace that he gives. You know, we, we need to be careful as we're trying to, to reach people. David Kinneman also said this. Arrogance is perhaps the most socially acceptable form of sin in the church. And don't just read that and go, okay, that's great. Are we arrogant? Or do we at least come across that way? We need to be careful. Jesus is telling us to be careful. Because as we're talking to people, because remember Jesus' purpose for coming was to reveal the Father to the world. Along with dying and rising again, he did that. That was how he revealed the Father to the world. But as he's dealing with his disciples, he's trying to help them understand and know more and more what it's like to follow the Lord and, and what the Father is like. And so as we are called upon to to do just like him, remember in John he says, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. We're called upon to reveal to the world. And we need to realize that how we communicate is as important as what we communicate. Let's say that again. How we communicate is as important as what we communicate. I can tell you the truth all day long with a judgmental, frustrated attitude and you're not going to listen to the truth. But when I tell you the truth in love, when I tell you the truth because I, I want to see you understand and know it, not because I want you to come to my opinion then it makes a difference. So how do we do that? First off, we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to listen. How did Jesus talk with people? Most of the time, he asked questions. He, he probed. He, he just he threw it out there. Just to, Part of it was for them to recognize their own things, but he's wanting to get to know people. Not asking questions so that we can have an answer but asking questions so we can understand where people are coming from. We can know who they are. We can genuinely care about them. We listen to what people are saying. We don't label. Are we... I mean, when when we go out into the world, when we go out to deal with people, we go out to talk to people at work... We've got to talk to people who we know don't know Jesus. And again, don't raise your hand, but I want you to think. Are you afraid you're going to be contaminated? Are we afraid to touch somebody? Are we afraid to get close to somebody Are we afraid to hang out with them and their friends? Now granted, if you're tempted to give in to the sin they're involved in, 
maybe somebody else needs to go with you to hang out with them. But the issue is not, if we sit and expect everybody to show up to an elementary school where there's a sign out front that says City Church and come here because they just really want to know about Jesus, it's not going to happen. The people who are going to come here are churched people who maybe are tired of the church they're going to or hadn't been to church in a while. But people who don't have any concept of church aren't going to go, wow, that sign looks nice. Let me stop in there and see what's going on. We've got to reach out. We've got to talk to people about the Lord. We've got to, but not label them. Here, I'm coming to talk to you because you are. You know, no. We just love them. Don't think you have all the answers. Do we have the truth? Yes, we do. But how do we present that truth? Do we present that truth in a, why don't you come do and and be like me? No, we've got to present the truth based on an understanding that without Christ, we can do nothing. And we're presenting Him Not our church, not our theology, not our dress code, not our style. We're presenting Christ. Question came up yesterday. You know, when I invite people to church, what is it that's keeping them from coming? You know, I tell them we're we're pretty laid back, we're all about Jesus. There's no frills, you don't have to dress up, do all this... But the reality is, it's not how we talk about our church. It's not even how we talk about Jesus as far as the inviting people to church end of things. It's how do we love people? How do we invest in people's lives? And not as a project. I'm going to love on you so that you come to know Christ. If you choose not to come to know Christ, I'm not going to be your friend anymore. You were my project, and I've shared the gospel with you, and you rejected Christ, so now let me move to my next project. Do we love people that way? No. That's not love if they're a project. We love people, and we say, you know what? I love you. I want you to know Jesus, but I may know you for the rest of my life, and you not come to know Christ. But we're going to be friends anyway. And I'm going to love you no matter what. Is that easy to do? Not always. But don't think we have all the answers. Empathize. Now this is a hard one. Because I'll be honest with you, the more you empathize with people, the more you feel like dirt. You know? It's easy to pity people. It's easy to sympathize from a distance. But once you begin to get involved in their lives and their hurts, and their pains, and their struggles, because you love them, because you love Jesus, it's going to rip your guts out. There are going to be times when their, their problems and their struggles don't keep them awake at night, but it does you. Now, do we love people that way? Or do we go, well, I told them. <laughs> yeah, if they don't get it right, that's their problem. I'm going home and go to bed. And I'm not saying we need to always lose sleep over people's problems. But I think we need to be so involved in their lives that their problems bother us. 
their problems cause us to go to our knees and say, Lord, they can't keep living this way. It's going to destroy them. Please do something in their life. Paul said he agonized over people. Be real. Don't try to put on a churchy mentality. Let people see that sometimes you struggle too. As a matter of fact, you don't have to say, pray for me, because if you know they're, they're not a believer, who are they praying to? But, but you can say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm struggling on this. You know? Okay. Because I think sometimes we give the impression that I'm here to talk to you because you're the only one struggling. And I've got it all together. But people need to see that we're real, that we don't have it all together all the time. And be a true friend. I remember it's a gentleman that taught at the high school where we were in Texas. And, uh, you know, initially I probably began to get to know him not necessarily with the best motive. Um, he was my kid's teacher. I knew uh, he was living a lifestyle that I didn't agree with. And I would kind of give him a hard time. Ah, oh, you know, we got a seat there for you at church. You need to show up, blah, 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 you know, and, and just picking at him. But the more I got to know him, the more I began to love him. And I, I remember phone calls because he began to get sick and was having struggles. And I get a phone call from his roommate saying, I'm not sure if he's going to make it through the night. So I leave and drive to his house. I beat the ambulance to his house. And I'm trying to get him oxygen and I'm trying to help him. And the ambulance shows up and I help them get him out in the ambulance and take him to the hospital. And I can remember standing beside his hospital bed, he can't respond. He's on tubes. And yet something at that point in time said, this is, it began to hurt. I began to truly love him. I don't know what he's dying from. I know from his lifestyle it could be just about anything. The doctors aren't going to tell me. I'm not a relative. But I can remember wiping his brow and even leaning over to kiss his brow. And to whisper in his ear that we love him and we're there for him however we need to do. And we moved here in August. Actually, the week we were moving. I brought Judy over for school. I had to go back and load the truck. And the week I'm going back to load the truck, I get a phone call that he's passed away. And I preach his funeral. Because he was my friend. He said he knew the Lord. There were some aspects about his life that, that maybe would be questioned, but I can't know his heart. But whether he did or didn't, he was my friend who I had to bury because I had committed to him and his life, not because I committed to him as a project to get him to come to church. He came to church sometimes. He would say he knew the Lord. He... he at one time was actually a music pastor at a church. 
I don't know where he stood with the Lord. But because he was my friend, I was there with him. We need to love that way. The Pharisees didn't love that way. They trusted in themselves and they considered others with contempt. But what has God called us to do? As we come to this Christmas season, what is is it about? Is it about a bunch of presents and, and setting up decorations in our house? Those things are all fine and good. But it's about God sending his son to become a man. To live as a man, to die as a man, to rise again as a man. So that we could have new life. So that he could reveal the father to the world. And if we are his body not doing that. If we as his body are being disobedient to that then we need to repent. That's what we're called upon. We're not called upon to have another place where people can come on Sunday mornings. We're called upon to reach the city, the state, the United States, and the world with the gospel. And if we're not doing that, then let's quit coming here and setting up every Sunday morning and go do something different. We're not called upon to be the Pharisees. You guys made a list. A lot of time in prayer. Reading the scriptures. Humble. A confession of Christ. Walking the walk. Loving and caring. Wise and discerning. Broken in our sin. Rejoicing in the truth, having zeal, being honest. If the world were to look at us, if, if those who don't know us that well were to look at us, would they see that? Or would they see a group of Pharisees who are just there to point the finger? Let's pray.